Hi, it's Sid. Welcome to my Artist Talk series, where I host contemporary photographers, bookmakers, and filmmakers to be in conversation on creative practice. I also speak with curators, publishers, and people who run arts organizations, all those who support and amplify visual culture. We focus on ideas, challenges, and resources. Thank you for joining us. Let's get started. Welcome to our Artist Talk series. I am excited to be in the studio with Tony Pepe, who is a photographer and a professor. And I have had my ear to the ground on her work and know just a little bit um, really about her creative practice. So our unscripted conversation is going to be taking that apart. And I'm excited because I'm getting this sneak peek into what's going to be a solo show in October at the Danforth Museum. So thank you for inviting me. And I love spaces like this. It's oh, thanks for coming. Full of, uh, it emanates things that I know you're exploring, right? And I was thinking about this, I think, um, I was trying to think back when I met you, and I think I met you originally at SPE, and it was somewhere else, I don't know where, and then I remember when we went for coffee, and I think you were pregnant with your daughter. Yes. So how old is she? She's five That's now. Five. Oh right. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So it's been really fun and interesting to watch you do something that I'm extremely interested in and challenged by which is to be an artist mother and um i think so many women have had to choose between those two roles and and relationships and just would love to unpack how you have navigated your creative practice pre-motherhood mm -hmm. but then blending into that reality? Yeah, good question. <laughs> Big question. <Yeah. laughs> um, I think for me, exploring motherhood or just caretaking more generally, which mm -hmm. is kind of where it shift, has shifted to for me, um, just felt really natural in my process. I always worked from a very personal place mm -hmm. um, things and projects and ideas work just sort of sprung from that um so when i became pregnant with my first child i have three now um back in 2012 i just felt this impulse to work with this in some sort of way mm -hmm. and it, it was a giant failure for a while <laughs> it was really challenging right to i had a studio space that um, was in my house. My studio has pretty much always been in my house and it's taken on different forms. It's been an empty room that then became a child's room and I was kicked out to um, a dining room table um, to now a garage. So I sort of move around wherever I can fit in. And um, 
Yeah. I think the first couple of years having my first child and then shortly after having my second child, 22 months later, um, it was, it was a challenge. I, I felt like I, I want to work with this. I, I want to, I want to somehow visualize and make this experience tangible mm-hmm. because so much of caretaking is ephemeral. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the baths we draw and the meals we cook and, mm-hmm. and just the touch and the, the, the physicality of early motherhood in particular mm-hmm. and early forms of caretaking are so physically demanding. Yeah in ways that I had never imagined and had never experienced before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I couldn't make it work. It, it mm-hmm. took me a while. I, I struggled with not being able to go in my studio for eight hours. Like I used to yeah. and just close the door and yep. put on some music and work. Mm-hmm. I couldn't work that way anymore. I had to work in between naps. I had to work. Um, not when I felt like I could work, but just when I had the opportunity. Mm, yeah. Um, and so that was just really different. Um, and I, I feel like I've somewhat found a rhythm, mm-hmm. but the universe, you know, <laughs> always throws in something, you know, that when you feel like maybe you've got things under control, you know, COVID happens or, you know, something, something happens where, you know, things are, you, you realize how out of control life really is and, mm-hmm. and that you can only deal with what's right in front of you. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's the way that I've, I've worked for so long is I keep my studio close and the materials and ideas that I work with are even closer. Mm. Um, they're, they're my experience as a mom. They're, um, looking at my, my children and, and seeing, seeing how my perception of time and mortality has shifted since having children, Mm -hmm. um, and being inspired by that really using this idea of caretaking and motherhood as a, a catalyst for creativity and not a hindrance. Mm, it's so interesting um, for a few reasons. Um, one is because I'm a mom too, and that I was challenged along similar lines. And so I'm, I'm hearing you from the perspective of when I wasn't a mom when I became one and now when I'm an empty nester mm-hmm. and, and and certainly the the trajectory of what that means um, but what you brought me back to was the relentlessness of early child caretaking and I love that you're using the word caretaking um, one of the other people who will actually be published the week before we drop this is Hetty Judah who her latest book, How Not to Exclude Artist Mothers and Other Parents. And in our conversation, caregiving is really where we need to go. And I had a moment with her where we were talking about language because my my sense, um, because I've been around the block for quite a time, as well as in different fields um, and looking at different cultural, social changes over time is how language affects so much. Mm -hmm. And so somehow we have to separate out like this cultural assumption that mothering is done by A females and B mothers, Mm -hmm. right? And then it's this like, sometimes we have to go through, how do we have the language to even talk about 
what we're trying to talk about. Oh, right. And I think all of my work, everything that will be in the Danforth this fall is about this expanding this idea of motherhood um, to, to this notion of caretaking, mm. to be broader, because it is such a complex experience to take care of another person, whether it's a child or an mm -hmm. elderly parent, mm -hmm. or um, that this act of care is so human. It's, it's part of our nature to, to want to care for each other. Mm -hmm. um, and that is regardless of gender and age. And I mean, I see my children wanting to care for, for, for animals and plants and other people. And, and so that there is this um, sense of, of it being just a part of us, mm -hmm. um, a part of our humanity. Um, and like you said, it is, it is relentless. It is endless. Mm -hmm. It is, it flows over us every day. Um, but if it didn't, we sort of wouldn't be human, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it can be overwhelming, but it also is sort of what makes life Absolutely. is that sort of repetitive, sometimes monotonous, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, act of care. Mm -hmm. um, but, but yeah, I agree. I think language is important. Um, it plays a big role in my work. I turn to all sorts of literature and poetry and, mm -hmm. and, and as a form of inspiration, but even talking about the work and writing about my own work, um, I think it's important to have some sort of language around it. Mm -hmm. Well, I talk a lot about contextualizing work. And even if I'm curating too, I often reach for poetry. Um, it's such a reflection. I just um, interviewed Yelena Yemchuk on her book, Odessa, and it has no superfluous text, not a title of an image, not a page number, but interspersed three poems from a Ukrainian poet. And it's just this power that I think between text and image, because aren't images full of words, even if there isn't text? Right. And then how do you talk about that? I was thinking, um, because I want to deconstruct how you got here. And when you first, how did, I guess I want to back up to say, I understand your work to be narrative, to be personal, mm -hmm. to use a camera or imagery as an exploration and also an expansion. Mm -hmm. But pre-motherhood, what were you leaning into? I think I've always worked in a similar way. I think for me, it's like I'm picking at the same, chipping away at the same rock, maybe, <laughs> to find the form underneath. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think it's always been the same for me. And that's why it felt so natural to me to just start photographing my children, photographing myself pregnant, because I'd always used myself in my work. Yeah. And my work was always about legacy and memory mm -hmm. and, and death and mm -hmm. mortality and, and sort of the um, intertwining of life and death mm -hmm. and how close they are. And when I became pregnant, it became even more apparent mm -hmm. how connected and, co and we all know life and death are connected, but just, when we think of the pregnant body, we often think of joy and we often think of life mm -hmm. and we don't think, and when we think of birth, right, we think of this mm -hmm. life, but we never think of mortality and death. It's, mm -hmm. it's really frowned upon. And, mm -hmm. uh, but, but I enjoy finding the connection of both. I think it's healthy. I mm -hmm. think it's, I think mm -hmm. denying that 
death isn't a part of pregnancy and birth, mm -hmm. I think it can lead to a very altered notion of it. Um, and that, and that really coming to that realization and from through personal experience and mm -hmm. other, other experiences I know of it just, just knowing that, um, that there is this wider, more complicated layered, um, experience of pregnancy and birth and mm -hmm. becoming a mother, mm -hmm. um, that is different than the narrative oh. we often hear. So. Absolutely. Um, I'm torn between sharing an experience <laughs> that really <laughs> speaks to that and going back to understand something. So let me just go back. When you said the rock that you are chipping away at has to do with legacy and memory, make the connection, if you could, between how photography helped that or how, you know, you're talking about oh, chipping sure. away right at right. a rock. If you're not a sculptor, but right. in some ways you are. You do you really do create objects. So mm -hmm. you, you are a sculptor, but you also are an image-based object maker on some level. So yeah. There's I, that connection. I, I love photography and my whole show is this big love letter to photography. <laughs> it is. And even though I make objects, I wouldn't call myself a sculptor. I yeah. would say I'm a photographer mm -hmm. who who uses these materials like mold making and laser etching and assemblages I'm using them from the point of view of a photographer who's mm -hmm. concerned with the this idea of imprint mm -hmm. and the tra traces and um and representation in that sort of form right the sort of imprint of light on a mm -hmm. negative or on mm -hmm. a sensor um that kind of physical connection between the material of light and you're in the body you're documenting or the place you're documenting or recording. Um, so, so interesting. I mean, it's a, it, for me, um, it makes me think that the actual medium of photography mirrors your vision. Yes. I mean, that sounds weird, but and like, it's how you think, how you see, and then right. here's this medium that is actually an embodiment of that. Well, and it's sort of, thinking about our expectations for the photograph, mm. right? Classically, we want the photograph to remember and document and save these moments for us. Mm -hmm. um, the family album pay, plays a huge role in my practice. You can see them on the shelves mm -hmm. in my studio. You see found photographs, piles mm -hmm. of them all around me. Mm -hmm. um, I, am, I have always been drawn to them. I've been collecting them since my my early 20s I've been collecting these things so mm -hmm. for a long time um and and I think that there is again this expectation we place on photography that it doesn't often live up to those expectations mm -hmm. uh, and so a lot of my work too is about that failure of photography to to do the thing we want it to do to be that static representation of memory mm -hmm. um and that's why in a lot of my work, I'm using different viewing devices, magnifying glasses, um, lots of prisms and things that you would find inside telescopes. Mm -hmm. uh, again, pointing toward these alternative ways of seeing, but they're all lens-based, mm -hmm. whether mm -hmm. it's a photograph or, or an actual glass viewing device. Mm -hmm. They're all lens-based. So actually, we have to call you a lens-based artist. Yeah, no, please don't. That is, 
no. <laughs> just artists, visual artists is good. Yeah. yeah. And we'll see what I find in, you know, in another few months. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to put the term in a box, right? It and is. It's kind of not fair. Um, I was wondering, um, do you want to start with Mothercraft? How could we unpack some of what I'm looking at? Because I'm looking at a lot and it's sure. really exciting I could almost say like okay we could go to this wall this wall that table and that table right does that make sense yeah. is that the is that pretty much kind of that looks like it's on the way to this table that's my work table yeah right yeah mm -hmm. um yeah we can go around the room and Mo Mothercraft is going to have the largest presence in the show mm -hmm. um it's made up of press photographs that I have found on eBay at flea markets so they're they're abandoned. Yep. They've been decommissioned by whatever newspaper they once belonged to and have somehow made their way onto the secondary market um, and not into the trash, which I'm mm. very happy for. Mm -hmm. um, I actually started finding these press photographs while I was working on my piece for the Yellow Rose Project. Yeah. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I had already been collecting these photographs of mothers and their children for something else. And I came across my, the, the, the piece that gives the title to the whole series and was just floored by how beautiful of an object mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. um, it is a, a press photograph, so it's eight by 10, silver gelatin print. It is layered on the back with captions and um, the sort of red crayon you use yeah, in darkroom classes mm -hmm. and uh, the crop marks and other other date stamps and other markings that reference how the photograph was categorized or how it was edited. Um, and so for me, it just encapsulated the subject matter of, mm -hmm. of motherhood and caretaking throughout his, throughout the 20th century, really, because mm -hmm. these are all 20th century images. Mm -hmm. Um, it gave a, a visual for it, but then also text, mm -hmm. this fragmented text for it, which which gives it this frame, yep. um, a, a way of, of seeing and understanding how the image was perceived or um, taken in, you know, 40, 50 years ago, 60 mm -hmm. years ago. Um, but then also it encapsulates photo history. Um, I didn't know what a I'm going to say it wrong, Baylocks or Belocks. I didn't know what that was. Mm -hmm. um, some of these types of photographs, I didn't know what they were and I mm -hmm. had to look it up. And mm -hmm. so I learned a little bit more about the different types of um, reproduction. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Um, and the way that I'm photographing them, I'm, I'm pinning them up in my studio and I'm lighting them from the back. So you're actually seeing the front of the image and the back of the image simultaneously. And that was really important. That's a really important part that I hope viewers will understand and see yes. um, that it's this moment of, uh, it's a moment that's been compressed that originally you would look at the front and you'd flip it over and see the back. And that's how we handle snapshots and mm -hmm. all sorts of other kinds of photography. At least I do. I always look at the back yeah. right away. Yeah. Um, and so it's a sort of front and back. What is the image actually telling us? And then on the back, how is that supporting the image or providing some other insight into the image, whether mm -hmm. it's like didactic information, like age, name, location, or something else. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm always interested in that something else. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and what's interesting to me is how did you innovate that 
was that a thought process because of your knowledge of photography that you thought, okay, I can compress this by putting light behind it? Or did that take some experimentation? Or yeah, it I took, don't know if that was like a light bulb moment or if it was actually a tangible it was a tangible thing. I'm a very mm -hmm. hands-on worker. So mm -hmm. I, I need to have something in my hands. I need to be working with it tangibly uh, in order to understand where it can mm -hmm. go and what its limitations are and what its possibilities are. And it was just me in my studio playing with these press photos in my camera, how I, I normally do with my lights. I normally, th throughout my practice, have worked in a studio with lights and so I did that with these press photos and just was tossing them in the air and moving them around and just, what do I do with these? Mm -hmm. And, and then figured it out and, and did have that sort of aha moment of this is it. This is showing everything that I want mm. from this, from this piece, from this object. So it's my favorite part when people feel free to play mm -hmm. and let the object or image or idea or whatever kind of come back to them and then you recognize it it's like yes this, yes this is what I wanted to do was combine this and compress it when I looked at those um examples on your website it really really blew me away because they are aesthetically really interesting um in their own right and then when you enter into them um the socio-political impact is a little shocking mm -hmm. and it's a good shocking. It's a real um, acknowledgement of the frame and box and perception that we have been in politically, socially, gendered wise, et right. cetera. I mean, I took a couple of examples from 1957 when Korean mothers because of course, who else would be with their child, but the mother nurse their babies in the dentist chair. Like if I thought of having one of my kids nursing while I was also getting dental work, cannot fathom, Right? can't, can't. And okay, thank you for kind of giving me a visceral, like, oh my God, you're kidding moment. Um, and then the idea that you found this image that actually documented the first legal abortion. Mm -hmm. That's kind of amazing level of synchronicity. And then I was really uh, taken aback by the one, and I think it's over here, but the one that from 1972, if you look at the type that's under the newsprint, it says seasonal cards for blacks are now available. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That one shocked me. I mean, talk about language and the way we talk about um, who we're including or excluding and who's part of the narrative and how, how they're, how they're brought into the narrative. Um, yeah. There's a lot of that throughout the, the series and that's the, te the text is that tipping point for me, it, it really, it brings in things that for a 21st century person, you're, you're, you're surprised, you're shocked, you're offended, you're uncomfortable. Um, sometimes you might laugh. Some, some of them are funny. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Um, yeah. Some of them are painful. Um, some of them were able with hindsight to look back and say, wow, that was not right. Um, and 
or, or sometimes look back and say, um, oh, I can't believe those types of systems were in place um, that either supported or didn't support a mother or caretaker. Mm -hmm. um, or also who, who were the players? Like who besides women? That's why there are not just women in this body of work, um, but who else are these like strategic partners um, for caretaking? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, and just to say we are in an active studio and we have outside noise, which is absolutely fine because that just happens. We can we can get over that. Um, you were making me think of one of the things that I think you really brought out in your work, and I love that you frame caretaking um, as because you you entered it talking about motherhood, but it's the difference between viewing things as a role rather than a relationship. So it really unpeels this idea of relationship. And I, I guess if I were to describe your rock that you're mm -hmm. chipping away at, it has to do with that, right? With relationships, like all of them, like our relationship to our body, our relationship to life and death, our mm -hmm. relationship to caregiving. Or connection but I think that that for me that really stood out and and it was an aha moment thinking that's another place to peel our constructed view of motherhood and caregiving between this role and relationship and I wonder if in the other parts of what you're doing for the exhibition are you thinking about what are you what are you attempting to show like when i'm looking at this one animated against the shelf mm -hmm. what is the impetus for that level of work and that engagement yeah so i think this show it's really important for people to see it in person mm -hmm. this work is incredibly difficult to share on my website Absolutely. um via zoom whatever through a screen yeah um, and so the relationship between the viewer and the work is quite physical. Mm -hmm. I'm setting up scenarios that are purposely asking you as a viewer to crouch down, to walk around, mm -hmm. to sort of peer over things and around things um, that you might even be enticed to want to touch lots of things. <laughs> Please don't. Um, and, but, but that there there's a sort of precarious nature to a lot of the work, the way it's been, either the way it's um, set up mm -hmm. or, or the, the nature of the material feels mm -hmm. very fragile. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so there is this physical relationship between viewing the work um, and the work itself. So, mm -hmm. so that's, that's a big part of the show. Mm -hmm. um, and when the piece that you're talking about where I have uh, layers of etched glass and mm -hmm. I've etched uh, found photographs of mothers and their children onto each panel of glass. They're then um, staggered on a shelf and then a light streams through them. And so then the, the image is projected onto a wall in the back. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, there's also a large lens that you can view, look through and view the glass pieces that way. So there are a couple of different ways of viewing them. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all pointing toward Again, the role of photography, viewing our perception of this, this identity and relationship 
um, or role of, of motherhood or caretaker. And these are all um, women, again, 20th century. Uh, they're, they're obscured in some sort of way. So they're turned toward the child, away from the camera, mm. they're cropped. Uh, but the mother figure has been basically designated as a prop for the child, mm. holding the child up. Um, so it's a, it's part, um, the mother has been marginalized, you know, partly by the photography and, and the, the poses traditionally we take on for a camera, mm -hmm. um, and, and just out of, out of just sort of that utilitarian need to, to hold the child in place. Mm -hmm. Right. And we've seen mm -hmm. that in hidden mothers. Exactly. Right? Yes. Um, so it, it becomes this kind of utilitarian thing but it's also a lovely metaphor absolutely. <laughs> right to unpack absolutely. um and feel I felt very much connected to becoming a mother and feeling like this is a lot to take on mm -hmm. and how do I manage that um and how am I feeling about that yeah absolutely that idea that okay going from the hidden mothers to this it's like okay we're not behind you know black velvet holding a baby for a portrait but right. we are still recessed Mm -hmm. And in that way, not seen. And yeah. that so minimizes all that it is. Right. Um, so I can imagine, I love how you pulled out that through thread, because then that was a creative choice mm -hmm. in your practice to then know exactly like, yes, this is reflecting what I want to talk about mm -hmm. and getting the found photographs that, that do that. And did you, when did, etching come into your practice um how did that come in well I so I teach at Boston University and we have a wonderful resource on campus that's actually part of the College of Engineering mm -hmm. but they have 3d printers they have lasers they have all sorts of things that they allow mm -hmm. everyone to come and use if you're part of the BU community and so I had been taking one of my classes there I created a course called experimental photograph and we would go there to make cameras using the 3d printers and I was just sort of exploring and mm -hmm. and saw the laser I was like oh what do you use this for and and they use it to cut things very precisely but I was like well can you etch things and they said you could so I came back like a month later with all my materials and it took me a few years it, it was a slow burn mm -hmm. it took me a few years they were all very helpful but lots of tests lots of working with with that laser I mean they're gorgeous we're what's really interesting is for for you to work on something that is now so integral to your vision that took so long to materialize right. like kudos how okay. did how did that work in the sense you know what I mean that you didn't give up or yeah. that you figured out like did you see small pieces that said okay like like as if like it's a little one and you're trying to grow that area to that level of detail because they're they're actually beautiful from so many different perspectives Thanks. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a pretty stubborn person. So, <laughs> and I, I've always worked very slowly, even before I had children, I would work on a one photograph for a month. Mm -hmm. So one scenario that I would photograph and re photograph and move things around slightly. And so I've always worked really slowly. Um, mm -hmm. This, and I think over the past five years, really, I've been integrating different processes and materials. Mm -hmm 
purely because I'm driven by an idea. Like mm-hmm. this idea, I feel like it needs to take on this form. I don't know how to do that. So I need to learn how to do that. And that just takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just figure, well, what else am I doing? <laughs> so I have, to, I have to dedicate the time to it. And, and it just is, it's a lot of learning from other people. I have wonderful colleagues who have helped me and um, just trying to stick with it. And I also feel it's it's never really done either. I mean, even the the piece that will be going into the sh- into the show in October, there there is more that I'd want to do with it. There are different versions of it I would like to make. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's also just ongoing for and me. That raises a question for me because I get this a lot. How do you capture those ideas? I'm you know it's a pretty um, common artistic challenge that you get sparked right but if you're trying to finish this and you've got a show deadline it's like okay I need to couch that idea Mm. but what do you do with those like I think of um Twyla Tharp and her creative habit she has a box that Mm -hmm. she throws ideas and things that relate and metaphorically go what do you do with that um a couple of different things I mean I some of the work that will be in the show, they're um, assemblages of found photographs and prisms and magnifying mm-hmm. glasses. Mm-hmm. Those found photographs, um, and they are in many different forms, glass negatives and platinum prints and C prints. Um, they have been sitting in boxes or I've been surrounded by them for years. And it wasn't until April that I said, I know what I'm going to do. I had gone to an estate sale and it was um, a family and the father had passed away and he used to build telescopes mm. and it was like all of his, all the supplies and wow. it was like prisms and lenses and old telescopes and some photo stuff and just all kinds of things. And, and I just, I got boxes of lenses and things. I didn't know what they did, but I just love this idea of this viewing device that shows us this whole other world we can never go to physically. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just full of myth and full of story. And um, I'm just really intrigued by space and the cosmos. So, Mm -hmm. um, so it just, it came together. It was just this going to that estate sale and having these piles of, of photographs that I knew someday I would do something with them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that knowing, I think that mm-hmm. you, you, a lot of artists are collectors and we'll just, I mean, I don't, I could say hoarder, but <laughs> collector borderline, right. Borderline. Yeah. Um, but you know, you're going to do something with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. that's how I always feel about the things I surround myself with. They're mm-hmm. there for a reason. I might not know that reason yet, but it will come. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just have to kind of give it time to percolate to the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's typically how I work. And I, I went through many different iterations of this show. I mean, it, it was originally supposed to take place in 2020 and then it was postponed wow. because of COVID. Yeah. I'm very grateful for that because it would have been an incredibly different show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also went through several different projects that are now just upstairs, just cooling off and waiting for their turn um, mm-hmm. just through the help of other friends who are artists coming over and helping me to edit, knowing that that isn't quite there yet. Um, and that there's a show here, but let's edit it down and let's make space for these ideas to really have room. And- wow. Okay. That we've got to stick with for a second, mm-hmm. because what you're saying is um, 
hewing into getting other feedback on, well, there's two things going on. That, that it sounds like it's a practice to engage with other artists and, and colleagues to get a sense of things, mm -hmm. even as they're growing. Gotcha. But when you did this, are you curating the show yourself? Or well, how does that work in the sense that, or how you wanna bring forward these things, like you're doing the editing of pulling it out. So it sounds like you're creating a thematic piece that you wanna really drill down to mm -hmm. so you're taking off some things yeah right? yeah so i think so jessica roscio from the danforth art museum you know, mm -hmm. she's given me great liberty to mm -hmm. to really make the show what i want she's been a wonderful guide throughout this just helping mm -hmm. me choose different pieces and mm -hmm. um just being someone i can bounce ideas off of um but also friends also yep. colleagues yep. who yeah who come in and, and help me understand how the work can flow together mm -hmm. um and where i can sort of maintain some clarity and where some other work coming in might muck that up a yeah. little bit yeah um and when you're in it you're so close to it sometimes you don't see those things yeah. and you just feel the urge to just include everything but exactly. <laughs> but editing is so crucial oh. um i'm a big believer of getting that feedback of having the people you turn to to say yay or nay and Absolutely. you know and, and kind of you can go with it or not but mm -hmm. but I think that getting that clarity from others is is so critical to my process Absolutely, so, yeah. it's interesting I used to call it when I was doing more art directing or creative directing um but I use it if I'm curating and I use it when I'm working with people on their creative practice I used to say overriding aesthetic that this that you could say the aesthetic or the idea, mm -hmm. if you put too many ingredients in, it really flattens a lot. And, right. and it's hard, hard, hard to do. I used to um, work in an artist live space and I had a colleague, a neighbor and an artist colleague who would call three of us in individually, not together and say, am I done with a painting? It was so... Cool. And it was really fun. And we would each give her feedback. Um, and I worked once with a, a woodworker who was making, um, literally made our bed. It was a wedding present by a woodworker. And he asked me to come to his shop. And he said, I just want to go through with you what I think should be the headboard and the footboard. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I got there and he planes everything with these Japanese planes and wood being living. And he said, there's a story at every level. And if I plane, I can take away a story. I can't get it back. And he's like, so I'm thinking this. And as soon as he put it in front of me, I had all these associations, mm -hmm. totally got it. And I'm like, like, it was so cool to see like that in other mediums, mm -hmm. but like that idea of when you've done and then that idea of sticking with layering the essence, the thematic, the idea that you really want to, to hone into. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in, in this show, there's, I'm trying to point toward that layering and that complexity of mm -hmm. caretaking mm -hmm. that there's such a broader, wider story to be told about it than I think we often hear. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a lot to unpack. And my yes. hope is that 
people can walk into the show, whether they're a mother or not a mother or whatever form, yeah. form they come in, yeah. that they can relate to the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think editing is a big part of that, of just, mm-hmm. just having some clarity in my, in my vision and the work that I present so mm-hmm. that people are able to connect and mm-hmm. don't feel maybe bombarded by too many disparate pieces. Yeah. Yeah. That refining it. But what I really also appreciate is um, what you said right at the beginning, which is this, you're really talking about humanity and you're de-gendering that, right? And this idea that um, we are all birthed, we are all cared for. Yeah. um, And that, how do we get into a relationship with that, that expands the complexity so that we see it? And then I think possibly change, not even possibly, it is changing and it needs to change. Mm -hmm. Like, how do we break that down? Um, What are some of the um, books or literature or poems you you had mentioned these two? How do they influence you? You can talk about them just a little bit. Oh, sure. Um, Mimi Bersenberg is a poet. Hello, the Roses is one of my favorite Mm. books of poetry. Mm. Um, The way that she is able to unpack seeing and vision Mm. and vision on different levels, vision from unexpected places, like from a flower (laughs) looking Mm. back at you. Mm -hmm. Um, So so to see and be seen Mm -hmm. in all these different ways. Um, it's just beautiful. And I love her work. I love her writing. It, it is totally inspired me to, to make all sorts of different pieces that are about seeing, Mm -hmm. um, and seeing in a very physical way. Her poetry feels very physical to me, Mm -hmm. all the senses. Mm -hmm. Um, so she is a big one for me. And, um, Kate Palmer's The Night Albums, Karen Haas actually recommended that Mm -hmm. to me. And, I ordered yes. it right away and started yes. reading it right away and just thought, oh my goodness, this is describing my entire show. So, <laughs> and that's so interesting because I talked and had a session right. with Karen and she mentions mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. That's so interesting. And about this whole idea of like how we see and mm-hmm. all those perspectives and the relationship of photography with mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. It really shapes in, in, a larger way now than ever mm-hmm. shaping the way we see mm-hmm. and remember and mm-hmm. experience each other. Yes. Because it's so ubiquitous, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we're getting more stories and images than we ever have from so many more perspectives. It has widened, thank goodness, and is continuing to widen. So so yeah, that we're breaking it's, that. Right. Open. And I think I think on to add to that too, you know, it's wonderful. Everyone has most people have this sort of camera in their pocket, right? Mm-hmm. In a way that we never did before and they have this access in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also this whole history of seeing that we're losing in the 21st century because mm-hmm. it's become so digital and mm-hmm. um zeros mm-hmm. and ones and on screens. And that's what a lot of this work is about too. It's very much 20th century and looking at, for example, the back of a photograph that has black paper on it, yes. torn bits, and how I know what that reference is. You know what that reference is, right? It's been lifted from an album. Mm-hmm. But I don't, my five-year-old or my 10-year-old or even the 20-year-olds in my class might not know what that reference is. 
um, even some of the the texts on the on the photographs that you'll see in the assemblages. There's one. It's one of my favorites. It's a platinum print, mm-hmm. and it and it mentions how it's absolutely permanent mm-hmm. um, because it's a platinum print. But mm-hmm. then it, you don't see the reverse. I have, and it's definitely not permanent. You know, it's boxing, <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, but just but just again that that role that photography played, this mm-hmm. sort of guarantee to be static and permanent, which we now because of the access we have to again, all these different perspectives and way of, ways of photographing or making a video of a scene mm-hmm. that we know that it's not static. We know mm-hmm. that there are all these different ways of, of recording and uh, remembering or referencing that, that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so interesting because it goes back in terms of impermanence. Um, and I think... Um, we're coming to a reckoning of our massive denial of that, you know, on so many levels that it's fascinating. And I love that you're bringing up how our kids don't have that reference. Um, And I'm thinking about, um, I'm thinking about our own family albums, which probably stopped being compiled like, 12 years ago Mm -hmm. um, and um, how much we have in uh, cyber form. Um, But I also was thinking my kids, um, we were once told in this uh, um, lecture at school and it really got my attention that our kids, mine, who are a little older than yours, um, are the cyber immersion generation and that their way of seeing is going to be on innumerable levels so irrevocably different than ours because the things that it was attached to are no longer, some of them aren't even in existence. Yeah. So it's it's fascinating to think about the impact of that. So I I feel like that also describes your rock Oh, for sure. Yeah. So you'll have so much to. Yeah. It all speaks to legacy, you know, like it it definitely speaks to that, what we leave behind Mm -hmm. and these family albums, these photographs that I collect, these, these were at one point, something very precious to whoever owned them. And this is that sort of trace or what's left. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I wonder you know, there's this permanence to the digital, right? That we can't ever delete something. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful that Facebook didn't exist when I was 14, but um, <laughs> but that we can't delete. But then it's also quite ephemeral. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think of all the photographs I take mm-hmm. and they're just in the cloud. And yes, I could get them back if I wanted to, but they're so, it's such a massive amount yeah, uh, that I wouldn't even know where to begin mm-hmm. to find to pick one out from, you know, it's so different than the shoe box that all my baby photos were in that I can sort of leave through. Yeah. No, endless, right? right? It feels so endless and overwhelming Mm -hmm. that it, that it also feels like you could never reach it. You, you can't access it. Yep. Um, Yep. So it makes me think of those bursts, right? When you're taking one image and it like, all of a sudden you've got 20. Right. Um, Yeah. And then that multiplies or, for instance, when you try to wrangle what's on your phone, which is right. so embarrassing when you look at it and it's going into like, okay, 
Yeah, I'm the worst you know, at that. So, five, right. then six digit. Like, it's like, oh my gosh. Like, right. yeah, an right. endless supply. And where do they all go? Like, mm. I just, I mean, other people might have better workflows than me, but I, you know, in thinking of the photographs I take with my phone, yeah. you know, it's, it, yeah, again, it, it feels inaccessible because mm-hmm. it's just that massive amount. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't. You, you, you could never hold them in your hand mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that amount mm-hmm. so right they did that one photograph a while back about how many images go across our um that get downloaded on a daily basis and someone did print it out oh and in foam I, yeah, yeah. I, i've never seen that <laughs> you was, could never do that now it yeah, would you be actually there wouldn't just, be it'd be to the ceiling right or you just have to keep lifting the ceiling right yeah right super interesting to think about that. Well, I appreciate being able to be so tangibly in your space (laughs) and talk through your process. And I'm so glad that you had the time and opportunity to work on this solo show in a way that is, um, it's so boiled down to an essence that I'm sure it's going to reverberate. That's so exciting. And I'm excited and I also, you probably need to put up signs to not touch because I'm so like, <laughs> like, like, yeah. I don't even know how you're going to move some of the things I see you putting together, but. I mean, really. they've survived my three children and puppies, so <laughs> I'm not too worried. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be okay. But they are, they do, they do beckon. I guess the thing for me is that I want to pick up and use the lenses that you're offering, oh, sure. right? And to engage mm-hmm. with what you're putting down. Right. Um, well, there's, I think so cool. part of that is that there is this multitude of seeing, right? That you move around it and crouch, but it's also limited. I'm mm-hmm. also setting up where they're yes. placed and how they're framing the photograph and what part you're able to peer into. So mm-hmm. there is also this level of editing and control. Yep. 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 Which is so interesting because, I mean, a lot of what you're talking about are dichotomies, right? And it's being able to hold those, mm-hmm. which is something I think um, probably our ancestors had a better handle on than we did. I think they they had that sense of life and death being so intricately involved, like connected in a way that I would say uh, our control over things as a species tried to act as if that wasn't the way. Well, I think, yeah. And I think that a lot of the materials I pull from are from the 20th century, because that is the century in which my parents, my grandparents, that, that they were really having their families and, mm-hmm. and careers and all of that. But also um, it's, it's that century in which birth and death left the home. Mm, you know, it was, point. it was, you know, typically yeah. having your child at home surrounded yeah. by family and a midwife mm-hmm. to the, to the hospitals um, or even in death, you know, caring for the, for the body yeah. and, yeah. and having viewing from family and friends in the home. That's why funeral homes have, parlors you know and that's why they look like homes because that's what used to happen um and so I'm I'm interested in that separation of these 
critical moments we all go through, right? We can't avoid and we go through, but that we avoid in certain ways by through the medical Mm -hmm. medicalization of it. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which leads me to two things. And then, and then I think we have to wrap it of the new um, traveling exhibition and book designing motherhood, oh, which is just, I'm, I scream about it. I've seen it. <laughs> I've had the book before I got to go to the exhibit. Um, I, I love what's coming up, which is going to be their talk, which is mm-hmm. on um, the 28th. The, yep. The 28th. And it is, that is all about reproductive justice in the 21st century, which couldn't be more timely. Um, I also wanted to ask if you've heard of undoing, not undoing, it's undo motherhood, is actually a book printed um, by Schilt, and it's Diana Carlin. And yeah. she goes back and talks to mothers about undoing motherhood in the sense like if you could, would, what you know oh, now. Right. It's a really interesting perspective. And I love that we're getting so many of these voices. Oh, sure. Yeah, I think that there's all sorts of feelings about motherhood Mm -hmm. that that are uncomfortable to talk about. I know that there was a, there was a book I read regretting motherhood. Mm. I'm blanking on the author's name, but mm-hmm. loved, love just that like the conversation is being yes. had, yes. right. That, yes. that these moments creep in, that these feelings are feelings that are natural and just mm-hmm. happen. And um, yeah, that's yeah. so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And designing motherhood is, I, yes, I love everything about it. I, I have know. the book. I've been to the show twice. I, <laughs> I tell everybody yes. and, and, and anybody I have, I have friends visiting for five days and it's like from another country. And it's like, you have to make time for right. this. You, you have do. to go yeah. to mass art museums because this just blows you out of the water. Right. And Miss Michelle Miller Fisher from the MFA was one yes. of the curators for that and editors of the book. And she's been here and, oh, and will be doing an interview with me for the Boston Art Review oh, as well. That'll come out. So, but she's also wonderful to talk to about this because mm-hmm. of all the research and work she's done. And mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, good. I'm so yeah. glad there's a lot happening between September and October right in this Boston area. Right. Yeah. We'll shout out. So thank you for taking time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming out here. This has been great. You're welcome.